It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favor to ask of you. Really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? Well, Andy. Wait, wait, you know, wait, wait, no, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm great. Of course, I'm great. I'm great. I'm fantastic. Everything's wonderful. I'm also a little tired. <laughs> so I will admit. <sighs> so it's not fantastic. Not everything is fantastic in Bridget World today. Well, I think this is the reality of, it's the reality of sales. It's definitely the reality of sales management is, yeah, there are ebbs and flows and there are days. I'm typically, I have a, a decent amount of energy, but sometimes even for me, I can feel a little tired and I do have a 3 a.m. call tomorrow. And I think there's part of me that's just anticipating an early, early call, but would you like to whine about that a little bit? We're, we're, we're not, listening. We're good. Not really. Not really. We're here not to support really, you. We're really. here to support you. I better. Yeah, it's better for me when it's early in the morning, even though some would think that's the middle of the night. That's just early in the morning. It's a little earlier than I normally get up. But anyway. But not much. But I'm great, but not much. But actually, all in all, I'm fantastic. And Andy, where in the world in the Andy Paul Frontline Friday Empire are you? The Accelerate Empire, the burgeoning it's Accelerate Empire. The burgeoning Accelerate Empire. I'm in the New York City studios today, and it's a Beautiful. good day to stay inside because um, you-know-who is coming back to town today for a short while. Uh, <laughs> and yes, I do know who. He whose name shall go unspoken. And um, yeah, they had the, the Bearcats out walking had my annual physical today, so I was walking 34 blocks south to go to that. And, uh, yeah, the the direct route to, to Trump Tower from the FDR, which is the, the highway on the east side of Manhattan, was lined with barricades and populated mm. by many security officers. So, in anticipation of his arrival at some point, so I'm not sure when that was. So I managed to squeak by there, I think, before they, they closed it off. But, yeah, they're pretty much telling people to you know, sort of stay home. Stay home if you, if you, unless you have if a reason you to be out. If you at all can, if you at all can, stay home. Well, yeah, because I mean, traffic in Manhattan. Anybody that's been here knows that it's generally impossible from seven a.m. to seven p.m. And yeah, you know, they're going to block off not not a major east-west artery, but just the impact of having having even some of the avenues going north-south closed for any period of time. <laughs> during anything, a beginning approaching the middle of the day, rush hour, it's going to be nasty out there. So, uh, a good day to use subways, for sure. And, yeah, generally a, a good day to start, say, close to home and, and so on. So, so yeah. Yeah, that was my, my adventure 
this morning. Okay. But otherwise, a yeah, beautiful day. Every time I heard a helicopter, I looked in the sky to see if it was Air Force One, but no, just too many. Not too, yet. Too many helicopters around here anyway. So, um, But yeah, they're very efficient here in New York. I mean, when they map out the, the routes that, you know, president or anybody of that stature, I guess, that vice president, perhaps vice president, I'm sure the vice president gets this treatment, certainly the president, uh, head of state, you know, they map out the route and then they clear all the cars on the route. And you're given this mm. little notice that says, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> you've got like two, three hours or otherwise don't park on the street. And then what they come through is they come through with these, you know, uh, <laughs> tow trucks, if you will. And, and they relocate all the cars. <laughs> That's a nice way to say it. No, they don't. They re- no, they don't take them to the tow lot. They move. Oh, them. they just. Oh, they just relocate them. Well, they move t- taking. You know what? Taking them to a tow lot. That's a form of relocation. <laughs> yeah, but okay. So, so this yeah, is well, another I, kind of relocation. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my stepdaughter was was responsible for her father's car <laughs> one weekend when he was out of town, and. This was right before the election, and uh, Hillary and President Obama had come to town for a fundraiser near where in Manhattan, where <laughs> where my stepdaughter uh, shares an apartment with her father, and and she came downstairs one morning, and the car was gone. She hadn't but hadn't kept track of. She was in grad school and busy with a bunch of stuff. hadn't kept track of what was going on, and but the car was just gone. But she knows all the other cars are gone, and she talks to the doorman in the building. The doorman says, "Oh yeah, they you know they came through as they do, and they they move the cars." Well, in this case, usually they write it down. Apparently, and they'll say, "Okay, well, you, we think your cars you know in this four block square area, four square block area, we put most of the cars there." <laughs> in this case, they hadn't written down his license plate, so they didn't really know where it was. <laughs> oh so, my gosh! So, so my daughter, stepdaughter was panicking because. You know, her father was out of town. I think he was actually in Europe on a trip or something, and and uh, she couldn't find his car at all. And when they called the the city and they the department that takes care of us, uh, they I don't think it was a police department. I think it was somebody else. And they said, "Oh yeah, we we put all the cars in this area." Well, they went. The car wasn't in that area, and they said, "Well, we don't have a record of it." <laughs> and then they found it about six, uh. six six blocks away. So apparently, there were a few cars that. They filled up one space and they they put some other cars farther away. But that's a great story. Yeah, so they're very efficient here in Manhattan about that, and it's amazing to watch them do it because they'll just pull up these trucks and they'll they'll clean a street in a big hurry. Yeah, and I would let him do it. Like if I knew they were coming, I would think, eh, I'm not going to find my own space. You go move it. <laughs> yeah. I would do the same thing. That's fine. You relocate it. It's amazing. See, I'm lazy. Well, I'm I was amazed that they, could, that they could find the spots. That was the thing that, that blew me away is what they could take, you know, 100 cars from around this neighborhood and find 100 other spaces another, you know, five blocks away. That's the part that That's, blew me away. So, yeah, they're, things work. Things are very efficient in this city. And that's one of the things they do very well. I'll say. So, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, not very All right, here, Frontline but Friday. We're frontline done. Frontline Fridays, yeah. So, you had some questions oh, for me, I think, today, didn't you? Okay, okay, yes, I have a question for you. Sure. Is it about sales? Yeah, I think we'll we'll switch back to sales. Although okay. talking about uh, presidential logistics mm-hmm. is is interesting. Okay, 
Andy, what would your recommendation be for sales reps who want to get more out of their managers? They want to get more out of their managers. So So what do they want? They want to get more from their managers. They want to get more from their managers. Well, think about it. And I, I guess I think about maybe it's my own lazy management style. And I'm saying that a bit facetiously, but I I think about, I'm busy. I know that I'm really busy as a manager and I, I, I have regular one-on-ones with my team and, and I, I look at things from my perspective, but I thought it'd be interesting putting on the other hat. If I'm a sales rep and I want more from my manager, how should I go about doing that? I'm well, trying to see it from their eyes. So I want a different perspective. Sure. And part of it is my desire to be a better manager. And so I asked the question from, uh, just let's say, let's say I didn't care about being a better manager. <laughs> what, 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 what could people do to get more from the manager they've got? Well, that's a tough question. I mean, first of all, one of the questions is, is the manager, does the manager even have anything to give? Right, I mean that—that's sort of an assumption we're saying, or assuming they do, right? But it's not always the case. You know, we see managers increasingly these days who are promoted into sales management positions without any sales background. Ah, uh, horrible. And, and so then the question becomes, yeah, and it's a you know legitimate question is, well, what what does this manager have to offer? And yeah, I remember my own situation when I was younger is I had that that happen, and. It was really for me a sort of an impetus to change companies because I thought, you know, I'm at the stage of my career. I need to be learning, right? I need to, I'm, I have my own aspirations. I want to rise up in the ranks. I want to become a vice president of sales. I want to run a sales organization. And I didn't think this person had anything to teach me. So for me, God, so for me that, that was one instance where that actually motivated me to go leave that company and find another, another job because I thought I was going to go stale, with this person. Well, so that's an interesting, let's say if we, if we put the hat on at the salesperson, an interesting first step is to look at what is it that your manager has that you want to want to get from them? What do you want to learn? What skill do they have? What, like, what is it about them or what they're doing or what you're interested in or your area that you want to grow? Mm-hmm that you think they can help you with? Because if the answer is uh, nothing, <laughs> then there's a different question you should be asking yourself. Well, and oftentimes there are top performers that, you know, for them, managers are just sort of maybe somebody to consult with occasionally, bounce an idea off of, but, you know, they style themselves as being very self-sufficient. And I think that is a challenge for a lot of managers to say, okay, well, how can I add value to this high performer? You know, what can I do to help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. And I think too often what managers don't do is they assume that those type of people don't need them. And to some degree, the high performers assume they don't need the manager. And so they don't have that conversation. They don't have the detailed conversation to really sit down and say, okay, well, let's, let's talk this through. What, what are you, Mr. or Ms. Sales Rep, what are, what are you trying to achieve? Right? What are your goals in business, you know, in life, and you know, why you're here? What are you trying to do? And then have that conversation. Okay, well, think about what can I do to help this person achieve that? It's interesting. Um, today I was interviewing someone 
uh, to potentially be a manager uh, in our Boston office. And the question that kept going through my mind is I would rotate through the reps I have in the office and I would thought to myself, okay, what could, what could Christina learn from this person? What could Kurt learn? Would Josh look up to this person? How would Eric feel about, like, I, I thought about them in my mind and how, what, what, what does this person have to teach them? I've got some great reps Mm -hmm. and I care a lot about their professional development. And I know that they're going to get certain, I hope they're going to get certain things from me, but I want to make sure that they're also surrounded by people that they can learn from. And when I'm interviewing managers, if I, if I can't see naturally what that person is going to be able to add to the team, they're, they're not, I, I cross them off the list. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want my reps to look to that frontline manager as I, I want to learn that. I want to be like that person. I want to follow in his or her footsteps. I want, gosh, they do that so well. How can I do that better? Well, I think one of the things for our challenges for managers, especially frontline managers, those that have just recently been promoted, let's say, even out of out of the sales ranks, is just that, right? It's how can they add value to the people that work for them? Yeah, how can they really help them? And it, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge they have to take is to say, you know, I can't become complacent just because I now was promoted. And I'm talking about complacent intellectually and complacent in terms of skill development and learning new things. It's really the time they have to double down. And I, you know, again, think back to my my first time I was promoted into sales management. I don't know, I had close to a dozen people working for me. I was, you know, 22 years old, 23 maybe, and I didn't know anything about it. But yeah, I started talking to people. I started reading books that I hadn't read before about management that uh, some I still have on my shelves, you know, like Peter Drucker and some things like that. But but they're all useful information. I went out and sought that information that was available because, yeah, I felt like, you know, these people aren't far behind me, right? I mean, our our experience that wasn't so dramatically different. Why am I in this role? If I'm in this role, what can I do to help them? And so I think it's a challenge that as managers, you have to accept that the impetus to learn something hasn't stopped. It's actually increased. That's such a good point. And I, I look for that in every position that I hire for. And in salespeople, I want that inquisitiveness and that self-directedness and that I want to go learn and I want to go get better and I'm not going to be complacent. And so when I was, I just hired a manager in the tele, for the Tel Aviv office and had some great candidates interview for that role. And the one, the person who I ended up going with, who I'm super excited about. What really did it for me was this, God, just his, he, he's a newer manager, interestingly, than any of the other ones that I talked to by a number of years. But yet his, he's an aggressive learner, curious, creative, motivated, wants to get better, wants to learn. The stories that he told me about the team that he's, currently managing, 
they were just really around what you're talking about, Andy, wanting to get better, doing like what you did, understanding, okay, I've got to always be ahead and be better and be that professional that I have something to offer each and every day. And that to me, is a, that's a big plus. That's a huge plus. Yeah. Yeah. When I, you'd use the keyword to me, which was creative. I mean, I think that's when I look back at times when I took over specific sales assignments and from various, uh, various companies, it was, it wasn't necessarily, well, I mean, yeah, there's knowledge about sales, but I mean, Again, that's not a unique, unique knowledge set, right? So, I think oftentimes it's the perspective I brought to it. It was a different way of of problem solving. It was this creativity that you sort of talked about. That a lot of times when people sort of move up into management roles, is they don't give themselves enough freedom, right? Because I mean, I remember my first three months in management role, my first frontline management job. Yeah, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah, I was just working all the time. I was trying to learn. I was, I, you know, felt the the pressure immensely, even though it was, I said, in retrospect, you look at it. I mean, it wasn't life or death situation, but to me, that was, that, that was one of the hardest periods I went through. But finally, then I sort of reached the point, I said, well, yeah, give myself permission to be myself and right. to, to, be creative and to think outside the box a little bit to help people because I think when what people want from their managers is is a different perspective, right? If I just wanted the same perspective, then hey, I could I could talk to somebody else if you're a salesperson. I could talk to myself. I could talk to myself in the mirror. Which right? I do sometimes. Right. I mean, it's just going to give me the company line, but I always wanted managers that, you know, give me something else. Give me something different. And I think it also, Andy, takes a, a, it takes a lot of self-esteem and courage to do that, you know, to go and want to hear if you really want to hear the differing opinion and you want to get challenged and you you are willing to give the stage to someone else and you're willing to give the credit and willing to give them the autonomy in many cases to go do things. Mm-hmm. Now, so for me... God, I I always think, how do I get to the point where I don't have anything to do? <laughs> I'm lazy <laughs> at the core. Like I have so many great people around me that the that, that you know I'm I'm not taking the calls at three a.m. So I I'm always looking for people that I think are better than me at it, mm-hmm. at least at aspects of it, and that can. Like the ideas they I remember at uh, when I was at Engine Yard, and this was I was managing the uh, pre-sales engineers also, and I would ask them to do things, and I knew enough by then not to be too prescriptive, and I would tell them I needed whatever it was X Y Z different projects, and Andy, they would come back. Thank God I wasn't prescriptive. Because the way that they would do it and how efficiently and more effectively Mm -hmm. and more thought out, I thought, oh, God, Bridget, it's a good thing you were too lazy to lay it out for them. Because if you had and they had done it the way that you said, you would have missed a whole bunch of, uh, you would have missed a lot of talent, a lot of uh, great work being done by letting smart people 
uh, articulate and and design the solution to the problem. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> and so I still look for that. Yeah, well, it reminded me of a story of uh, just a year or so ago, where my my daughter was relocating. She was being sort of recruited for a job in a different area, and and she had sort of concerns because they they talked about hiring at a certain level, but then the job offer came in sort of one level below, and but she looked at the responsibility. It really was this more responsible level job, which was more money. And so she came to me and said, well, how should I negotiate this? And yeah, I gave her my opinion based, based on what I thought she should do. And she you know, went 180 degrees the other way and very successfully negotiated uh-huh. more responsibility and more pay. And so, you know, sort of to your point, it's like, yeah, you'd, you don't, they don't want you to be prescriptive, right? They want to just help problem solve. And, uh, you know, something I said maybe helped her with that or maybe not. But, you know, she was smart enough to sort of take it on her own, think outside the box, did something different than I would have necessarily thought about doing, and it, it worked very well. Well, and I think it's it says something also that even though you were prescriptive, that she had the courage and confidence to follow her own instinct and gut. And I look for that also. Mm-hmm. That because sometimes I may make a stronger suggestion. I try to be clear that it's, but I'm not always, that it's a suggestion, not a mandate. Right. And I also have to think about that with my boss because I know as a CEO, it's very easy for people to follow and just do exactly what he says. But I know him well enough now to know that he may have strong opinions, but he's also looking for the people who report to him to have strong opinions and to be able to come back and say, you know what, that was your suggestion. This is my recommendation. Just because the CEO or the VP of sales or your manager has an idea that something needs to be done a certain way doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. It doesn't mean to go and disregard everything, but I think it's use the brain, think about it, have the, the courage also to have the discussion to say, "Mm, had you considered this? I'm always receptive. I shouldn't say I'm always, I try to be very receptive to that. Well, I think this is really something that's important for people in sales in general. And I've touched on this a little bit in our conversations. I know I have with other people I spoke to on Accelerate is that I want to see more risk taking on the part of salespeople. I think it's something that's, that's been sort of legislated out of the position. It's, it's how it was the trigger for me to be successful in my career is to be able to take what was an existing process and then say, okay, well, how could I do this better? Or how could I do this in a way that plays to my strengths and what I'm good at? And you know, I had that freedom and flexibility to do that because I was succeeding. So yeah, and, I think there and, are too few reps these days, especially with these highly prescriptive sales processes that many companies adopt, that that we're losing some of that. And people are becoming complacent or they think they have to succeed within you know really narrow, narrowly defined spheres. And they need to, as you said, you know, have some courage and break out of that a little bit and tell managers no sometimes that this is I've got a different way I want to try doing it and managers 
have to have the courage to say, well, I can chain you to your desk and you know, make you make 50 calls or you have a better idea. Let's try it and see if it works. And I, I think, Andy, a lot of it, a lot of it gets put back on the manager and the process and the expectations and you don't do this and you risk losing your job because sometimes these risks don't pay off immediately. You have to mm-hmm. be able to see them, see them through. Mm-hmm. So I agree that, that sales reps need to take more risks, but I will also say that we as managers don't make it easy for them to do it. Things are becoming, we talked about this on one of the episodes, more specialized and you kind of have to color within the lines and here's this process and we're trying to create this repeatable business. And I would say for me, all those things are true. And so I'm constantly challenging myself and having conversations with reps about how they can color outside the lines and we still achieve our mutual objectives. Right. And that's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of trust between manager and rep to be able to do that. How far outside the lines you let him color. Yeah, exactly. And I was fortunate for the most part in, in many instances of my career to work for people that were prepared to let me do that. And but I, I see that less and less in in the companies I I work with and the people I speak with, both at the managerial level and at the the sales individual contributor level, that I, it is a, it is sort of a complacency, and I don't want to have people sort of misinterpret that because people are working hard, but yeah, people are sort of saying I'm going to work hard with you know within this tightly defined scope, and to me that's. That's complacency because you're not saying, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna really optimize my personal productivity? We're talking about how do I sort of optimize it within this tightly defined scope of work that I have. And I think that keeps a lot of people back. I think there's a lot of talent that's not being utilized the way it could be because we are so specialized. Well, and I think back to just one-on-ones that I have with my team. And when I say I think back, I think back like six days ago. Okay, I typically have them, you know, (laughs) on Thursdays and Fridays. But the distant past, the very recent past. Um, And often the conversations, the, the reps are different. They have different styles. They have different backgrounds. And we do have conversations around, okay, this is... This is what I think, if I were you, how I would, how I would think about my territory and how I would think approaching the opportunities I need and Mm -hmm. building my pipeline and number of discovery calls. And I, and I'm tracking everything. And I said, this is the number I would look for. And this is, and we have discussions around like one rep said, well, I, I don't think about it that way. This is how, how. I would do it, and I don't do as many calls, but my close rate is higher. And we have a discussion about it. And I'm, God, the last thing I want is a sweatshop where I'm sitting there counting their dials. Mm -hmm. I'd rather look at the results and say, okay, let's talk about what that might look like and, and help me set my expectations. 
how do you how do you measure if you're on track or not? Like what what are the things that you look at to determine if you're going to hit your number at the end of the quarter? Mm-hmm. So that I can understand what I should look at and how can I be helpful in that? So I do try to have the conversations about how can you be creative and take a risk and where do you want to take it? What does that look like for you? And let's let's talk about it because I'm that way. I, I don't like to, oh God, Andy, I do not like to be told what to do <laughs> no, at all. I, you and I share okay? that. You and I share that. Uh, That's why we get so, along so well. I know. So I tend to not want to tell reps what to do. And yet I also have a number that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm responsible for. So it's, I, I am maybe, you know, my reps maybe would say differently, but I, I try to be more receptive to the way that they want to do it. We've, we've all got, we're all marching towards the same goal. As long as we keep that in mind and we've got good communication, there's trust with each other. Typically we can get it worked out, but it, it's, it takes a lot of trusting courage on both sides, for sure. It does. It does. All right. Well, Bridget, we've we've run out of time for this episode. So it goes so quickly. Ju- it does go so quickly. So I should only talk about <laughs> whatever know, we talked about for the first the presidential uh, yeah, yeah, motorcades. Yeah, right. Relocated. Yeah. See, you had to go remind me. Okay. So, um, as always, fantastic to talk with you. And friends, thank you for joining us again. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. And make sure you come back and join us again next Friday. And for your loyal Accelerate listeners, we'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow on Saturday's episode. So, Bridget, thanks again. Thank you, Andy. And thank you, everyone. Have a great uh, weekend. Bye now. Bye now.